not sure if there's three more frustrating words in the world than when you're watching your favorite show and the words to be continued come onto the screen. We are not wired to wait. No, 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 no. This has got to resolve now. I'm not waiting seven days to figure out what happens. And if you're like me, there's a physiological response like, are you freaking kidding me? We don't like to wait. In fact, a lot of creators of TV shows and net networks like Netflix and Hulu, they now know release the whole season because you have a better shot of me staying connected if I can binge watch it versus have to wait for the next episode to come out. We just don't like to wait. We like to know what's happening right now. Waiting for us is just absolutely exhausting. You know, one of the most one of the most difficult places to wait is perhaps the title of this series, and the title of this series is simply called "The Waiting Room." We're going to be looking at the discipline of waiting in honor of Advent season. Rather than get into the specifics of Advent this year, we just want to spend some time learning to wait the way that the Israelites waited on their coming Messiah. I'll get into that more in a second, but think about a waiting room. The people that are there waiting to see how the procedure went. The people that are there waiting to see what the doctors have to say. Maybe maybe someone got a call and said, I need you to get to the hospital right now. And, and you're sitting in the waiting room waiting on somebody to come out and tell you what happened. Then why did you get this call? A waiting room, is just, there's, like, there's like an understood blanket of empathy as you look across the room and there's someone whose tears are streaming down their face and you know they're going through something perhaps similar to you. And, and so there's just this gentle empathy this gentle allowance for people just to be undone a little bit in a waiting room. Maybe the only place more difficult than a waiting room to grieve is, well, anywhere else. I think about when my wife on her 40th birthday, she was rushed to a, a, the emergency room because of an appendicitis. Her appendix had a ruptured and, and tremendous pain. And because of COVID, I wasn't allowed to even be in the waiting room. It's one of the few times that I didn't do a very good job of being very socially acceptable. Most of the time, we can pretend like we're good and you can have something on your heart. You can have someone that you're waiting to get a call about to see who, how surgery went or how the procedure went or how they're feeling. And you go and you wait on customers and you still answer the phones and you still do what you have to do, but inside you're just yearning to try to figure it out. But the people that you are coming in contact with, they, they don't know that you're, you're unraveling a bit inside. So you just kind of put a face on and we do that many times this weekend in our services, there will be people that come in that are just putting a strong face on, though they're there in the waiting for some difficult things in their life, some challenging situations that they need breakthrough on, or answers on, or solutions to, or, or they need to figure out what is next, and they, yet they're going to come in and they're going to pretend like everything's okay. That is perhaps even more challenging than the waiting room is trying to pretend like things are normal. One time when my wife was in that hospital, her friends came and knocked on the door not knowing what was going on. I had just gotten the call that there was, my wife thought it was going to be a routine, you know, pull out her appendix, but instead it ruptured and there was some, there was some infection and, and so she was said she had to stay for a few days and I was just devastated because it was the first time I couldn't get to where my wife was and her friends came to the door and knocked thinking they were going to be able to see Jess and when they came to the door, I opened the door, tears still in my eyes and I just said, not right now guys, I just can't and I closed the door and it was, I think, I remember them standing there like, what in the world because I'm not. Not usually that kind of guy, but when tragedy strikes or so when I'm just in the waiting for some answers that I really need, some closure that I really long for, sometimes we don't even have the ability to fake it. We just get stuck. That's kind of what this series is all about. Waiting rooms kind of speak to this now but not yet reality. 
What I mean by that is you're there, you're in the middle of it, but you still you're waiting to see how it's gonna turn out. It's now and not yet. It's it's right here, it's in front of us, but yet there's still bridges that we have to cross that we don't know about. We begin to pray for things that are gonna be later on down the storyline. So right now we have to deal with it right now, but there's a not yet reality waiting on the solutions and the answers to come through. And God's promises, much like waiting rooms and hospitals, are sometimes very much so now and not yet. It's the promises for right now, the hope is for right now, but but the actual fulfillment of the promise is not yet. And the, no one knows that better than the Israelites. I'll, I'll read it. A passage of scripture, this is a passage of scripture, probably one of the most well-known scripture verses in all of the Christmas story, found in Isaiah chapter 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Christmas story, right? His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. We read the scripture verses and I think of that scene in The Lion King where they raised up Simba high and the whole kingdom erupted to know that they had a new king. And, and we read this as if it was being read in the manger scene. And as Jesus is entering the world, we read this passage of scripture, for unto us a child is born. But this is a promise that didn't happen, wasn't fulfilled for hundreds of years. And the book of Isaiah is this, this ebb and flow of, of hope and devastation promises and then and then a, a reality of judgment that was coming to the people of Israel if they didn't turn to God it was this up and down reality of leaning in and and then and then kind of kind of uh, being hit with a wave of disappointment or discouragement as they wondered did God still remember the promise that he made and so this this season is about us waiting before we get to Christmas day I thought of this this week as I was preparing this message. I, I remember when I first took Good Friday serious. You know, Good Friday was always this thing that showed up on the calendar, but I never really celebrated it. It wasn't a part of the liturgy of the churches that I was raised in. We definitely had Easter celebrations, but Good Friday wasn't really a part of the narrative much. And I remember I was at the last church that I was serving at back in Dayton, Ohio, and, and we put on a Good Friday service. And me and the team that I led decided for Good Friday service, since it's supposed to end sort of in the waiting before Easter, before the resurrection, I said, let's plan a funeral service. And let's have a funeral service for Jesus and try to imagine what the disciples must have felt whenever the, their their savior, their friend, the, 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 the one that they had abandoned jobs and families and, and livelihoods for had just died and there's this this wow I really hope that he resurrects the way he said he would but right now he was just dead and that that Good Friday service where I spent time imagining the grief that the disciples must have felt made the resurrection Sunday so much sweeter because I took some time to imagine how dark and heavy the Friday was before the Sunday that he rose again from the dead. And in the same way, these four weeks, we're going to make Christmas morning so much more sweet by taking some time to remember that there was a long period of waiting that made the birth of Jesus something that the entire universe could finally exhale in a sigh of relief that the promise had finally been fulfilled. The passage of scripture that I just read is in essence the arrival that we're waiting on. Advent just simply means 
the arrival. And so we're waiting on the arrival of Jesus that we just read about in Isaiah chapter 9, but just in the same passage of scripture, in the same book, in Isaiah, this time in chapter 40, Israel's not in a place of hopefulness. In fact, they're in a place of complete questioning. God, are you even going to do this thing? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 27, why then Jacob's tribes, why would you ever complain? So apparently the people of Israel are beginning to complain. And the writer, the prophet goes on to say, in my chosen Israel, why do you say Yahweh isn't paying attention to my situation? He has lost all interest in what happens to me. Israel, the one who back in chapter 9 had this excitement moment, exciting moment where a prince of peace is coming, an everlasting father. He's going to establish a new kingdom and peace is going to reign on earth forever and ever and ever. And they're like, yeah, sweet. And then in chapter 40, Yahweh isn't paying attention to my situation. He's lost all interest in what happens to me. The response in verse 28, don't you know, haven't you been listening? Yahweh is the one and only everlasting God, which is a nod back to chapter 9. He's still that God that he promised that he would be in Isaiah chapter 9, but right now they didn't feel it. I don't know, maybe you've been in some of those places where your head knows that there's promises that God has given, peace that passes understanding that is available, wisdom that you can ask and he gives in abundance, but yet you just don't feel it. Yahweh is the one and only everlasting God, the creator of all you can see and imagine. He never gets weary or worn out. His intelligence is unlimited. He is never puzzled over what to do. He's trying to bring some, Isaiah is trying to bring some hope. And in verse 31, he says, those who wait for Yahweh's grace will experience divine strength. They will rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles, run their race without growing weary and walk through life. Without giving up, the, the prophet Isaiah is trying to say God hasn't forgotten you, though right now it seems as if the promise is taking a long time to get here. You and I, we go from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and we effortlessly flip the page over to the Gospel of Matthew where we read the story of Jesus. But there was hundreds of years while the people were in waiting for this Messiah that they were promised. and. People were born and people died and it was just this hope that they lived and died without ever getting to experience the fulfillment of. And sometimes you and I find ourselves in this desperate season of waiting. What are you waiting for, family? What are you just crossing your fingers, hoping that God does that promise, that answer, that breakthrough, that healing, that reconciliation, that restoration, that opportunity, waiting on your turn. What is it that you're waiting on? And can I offer some hope in the season of waiting? Maybe some things that you can do to to be a better waiter. How can you wait well? Even further looking into the storyline, the story doesn't get happier before it gets better. It gets way worse. In Isaiah, the prophet kept saying, you have to turn from your sins or judgment is going to come. Yes, Isaiah 9 will come to pass because God said it would, but it might not come to pass the easy way. It might come to pass the long and the hard way. And Israel realized that without, with, if they continued to live in their sin, just as, I, just as Isaiah said would happen, the, the, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, enemies of Israel came and they attacked Israel and they overtook the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, and Israel lied as a complete desolate Wasteland, the capital city of Jerusalem, its walls that used to stand with a symbol of strength and fortitude now crumbled. 
the palace that used to have wealthy people singing and dancing and the king laughing and, and, and the kingdom just seeing a, a, a season of, of happiness and joy and, and growth and expansion now lay desolate and complete barrenness. People that used to believe that they were God's chosen people now were crawling around the city streets trying to find food. The city was in complete desolation and it's in that moment after the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they come in and they completely decimate Jerusalem, completely flip Israel's greatness on its head. And we, there's a book that enters the scene in that moment. The book's called Lamentations. And Lamentations was a cry from the from God's people about how could God let this happen and and God allows this book to be forever stamped in his words to us as a reminder to us that when we are in the waiting for the promise it's okay to not understand it's okay to say God where are you how does this line up with your promises I, I was reading doing some preparation and someone said about the book of Lamentations that it's a memorial to the pain and confusion of the Israelites. It, it followed the destruction of the city and it preceded the arrival of their Savior. A memorial to the pain and confusion. God wants you to, wants to create the space for you to lament your waiting. And, and as you find yourself just crossing your fingers, praying, hoping, and believing that God is going to do what you feel and believe He said that He was going to do, there are seasons of lament and longing in that time of waiting. Lamentations. Another writer that I was looking said, Lamentations is a form of protest. It's saying, God, this is not okay. This is not what you said you would do. This is unthinkable, unimaginable pain, and it's not okay. Lamentations is a form of protest. Lamentations is a way of processing emotion. It's a green light for you and I to know that God can handle our anger, our grief, our sadness, our frustration, and we are allowed to be honest with God about what we feel. Lamentations is a reminder that it's a, we have a place to voice confusion with God. While we're in the waiting, we can say, God, how does this line up with what you said you would do? How does this make sense in what you promised me you would bring to my life? And Lamentations meets us sometimes in the, the difficult journey of the waiting. I want to read a passage of scripture from Lamentations. I'm reading it from a book that's very special to me, obviously the Bible, but I mean this specific copy of it. This was a fairly new version of the New Living Translation. It's actually the New Living Translation has been updated quite a few times since I've had this. I actually had this, uh, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage on May 26th of this year. And, and I took this on our, my honeymoon and on May 27th I was up before my wife and I was sitting in the hot tub of, of the cabin that we were staying in. And I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, and you might think, wow, you're so spiritual. Reading your Bible before your wife's awake on the morning, uh, the, the first morning that you were married. But it really wasn't this, this journey of spiritual strength. It was actually me scared to death of the fact that I had just launched a forever commitment to a woman that I now had to love effortlessly. I had to love forever. I, I had to love uh, selflessly, right? And so I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the hot tub when I dropped this Bible in the hot tub. And so it's forever kind of been broken down and the bindings taped together. This Bible always makes reminds me of, of the journey that I've been on to try to know how to live by this book. But it found another time to meet me in a special moment. And it found a time to meet me, this exact copy, while my wife and I... And in the middle of 2020, found ourselves just very, very stuck 
and broken down in our marriage. And many of you guys know the story. I've shared it from stage at Impact several times, but my wife and I were separated, not legally, but we were taking some time to try to heal and, and find a place to start over from. We have a guest bedroom at my house, but I, I told my wife I don't want to be a guest in my house. I love to camp. And I, I'll sleep in the back of my truck when I go camping. So I pulled my truck into my hot rod, my 65 C10, and I slept in the back of my truck for several weeks as I just tried to make heads or tails of what God was doing. And this passage of scripture I discovered in the back of my truck, the same Bible that had was wet because I dropped it in the hot tub. And this exact passage of scripture is the same Bible that is wet with the tears that I cried. When my marriage was stuck and broken down, I'll read you some of the things that I read when I discovered lamentations in the back of my truck, praying that God would do a miracle, knowing that God wanted my marriage to survive, but waiting on the breakthrough to, for that to happen. The healing from the brokenness that I had created and that left our marriage stuck. It says, I'll just randomly read some passages of scripture. This is the Israelites in their waiting, and it found me in my waiting. He has brought me into deep darkness, shutting out all of the light. He has turned against me. Day and night, his hand is heavy upon me. This is God's people writing about the God that had promised them a Savior, a Messiah, peace that passes, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. I can just keep reading. He's walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. He He's blocked my path with a high stone wall. He's twisted the road before me with many detours. Verse 13, he shot arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He's filled me with bitterness. He's given me a cup of deep sorrow to drink. This one struck me. He's made me grind my teeth on the gravel. What a visual that is. He's rolled me into the dust. Peace has been stripped away. I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Have you ever been there? Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. I've got this circled and highlighted right here. In the midst of all of that, this verse enters the scene. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still hope, I still dare to hope when I remember this. You hear that tension? All those bad things. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. I think that's to say it's worth me remembering the damage that I can do to what God wants to bring into my world. And so the writer says, I still dare to hope when I remember this, that tension of hope in the midst of hopelessness. The writer goes on to say, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. You hear that tension? Uh, hopelessness. I'm grind You've ground my teeth on, on gravel. You've shot arrows into my heart. My splendor is gone. Yet I, I dare hope. And the Lord, great is his faithfulness. This tension of hopelessness meeting hope. There's this... Tension that is worth holding on to, not trying to cut. It reminds me of a, you know me, I like to play guitar. Here's, here's a guitar, let's see if it's in tune. I didn't tune it. Yeah, pretty close. This guitar makes noise because of tension. 
the string stretched across the neck and the fretboard here like allows allows me to do things that make beautiful noise, right? Now, if I just take one string and do this to it, change the tension, I'm gonna hit that same chord. Five strings in tune, one string barely out of tune, and we get this. Imagine if I was like, let's stand together and worship church. Not very pretty, right? The name of the game here, the idea here is not that we cut the tension off together. If we do that, the strings are gonna just like flap I, like sounding like steel against wood, making no noise at all, no music whatsoever. But I can take that string and not cut the tension, actually increase the tension on this in this particular case. But listen. It's not about cutting in the tension, it's about tuning the tension. It's not about getting rid of the tension, it's about saying that the tension is actually creating something beautiful and we have to tune in to God's spirit, tune in to what God is doing. Not cut it all together, just allow ourselves in the midst of it to tune in to the hope that we have available to us in Jesus and, and allow our spirits to begin to tune in to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. I'll go back to that verse that I read early on in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait for Yahweh's grace will experience divine strength. They will rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles. I love that it says here, those who wait for Yahweh's grace, reminding us that we're trying to tune into what is, what's on God's heart for this part of our storyline. I think about things that you might be waiting for. I wrote down, so maybe you're waiting for an answer. You're waiting for change. You're waiting for breakthrough. You're waiting for healing. You're waiting for provision. You're waiting for reconciliation. Can I invite you to actually, instead of waiting for those things which are circumstantial, that you tune into God's spirit, tune into God's grace, because it says here, but those who wait for Yahweh's grace will experience divine strength. Which means if I wait for God's grace in the midst, rather than say, I'm waiting for answers, we say, Father, I'm waiting for your grace so that I can stand in whatever the answer is. Rather than waiting for healing, it's to say, God, I, I long for healing, but I'm going to wait here for your grace so that whether I'm healed here or on the other side of heaven, I know that I'll be tuned in to your goodness for my life. Rather than wait... For provision, God, you know that I need provision, but rather than stand here waiting for provision, I'm going to wait for your grace that will meet me and sustain me in the middle of this need that I have. You see, waiting for God's grace makes whatever the circumstantial outcome is, we can always depend on God's grace. His grace is always faithful and right on time and more than enough. And when we wait on God's grace, Isaiah 40 says, we rise and soar like an eagle. It makes sense to say, well, how do eagles fly? Because eagles can soar on wind currents rather than flapping their wings, they can fly for many hours without using up too much energy. So one way that they fly is they can get to crazy heights and not even really exhaust themselves or kill themselves because of the way that they fly, soaring on wind currents. Another fact, the eagle is the only bird that will fly above the storm clouds to avoid rain. This means that eagles can fly at an altitude of 10,000 feet above sea level. So eagles many times will find themselves soaring above the storm that is just below them. And so I believe that Isaiah is in essence saying when you wait on God's grace, you'll find a way to soar above the storm that's going on in your life. Maybe that's what Philippians is talking about when it talks about peace that passes understanding and ability to exist above the chaos 
settling into God's grace. I love this one. Eagles can fly as high as 10 to 20,000 feet above sea level. At these higher altitudes, only one-third of the oxygen is available compared to the amount that we have close to the ground when we breathe. To combat this loss of oxygen at high altitudes, eagles have specially modified hemoglobin in their blood that adheres to oxygen. Because God knew they would be flying at 10 to 20,000 feet, part of the creation process, included in them specially modified hemoglobin in their blood that adheres to oxygen. They also have a dense network of blood vessels in their wing muscles that helps to transport this oxygen around their bodies. On top of that, they have larger lungs than they need to take in much more oxygen than they need that they can use later. The great creator knew what would come against the eagle and he made them with everything that they need to fly and to soar at altitudes that they would need specially modified hemoglobin that adheres to oxygen. I think of our great creator and in Psalm chapter 139, I'll read to you a bunch of them. I got a bunch of sections in this passage that are highlighted, but I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me no matter the heights or depths that we go. He has already given us what we need to sustain us. Thinking of the eagle, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body too. If you're going to take care of the eagle to give them what they need at their height, certainly God is going to give you and I what we need in the heights that he knows that we're going to need to fly in order to be above the storms of our life. Psalm 139 says, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Everything that you and I needed in order to soar, he already gave to us. You know me, like in my little imaginative mind, I imagined what if an eagle decided that they wanted to fly like a hummingbird? My wife loves hummingbirds. She's got a hummingbird feeder right outside of her office that when I walk in to check on her and say hi to her, I many times see a hummingbird flying out there. What if an eagle was happened to be soaring overhead and saw a hummingbird outside of a hummingbird feeder? A hummingbird in and of itself is a feat. It's, it's, it's miraculous, right? God knew that for them, they would need to have nectar that would be deep into a flower. And so they would need to hover there, miraculously defying gravity in order to eat. But what if an eagle was like, that's pretty dope. I want to fly like that. What if an eagle decided to fly like a, like a hummingbird? Like, ah, <laughs> you'll never be able to unsee that if you're watching this on YouTube. <laughs> and an eagle looks over at a hummingbird and decides that he wants to fly like that. Well, Another fact about the eagle is the eagle uses thermal air currents to give them lifts without having to flap their wings. This reduces the amount of energy they have they have, they have to expel to reach such amazing heights. When they're in flight, the eagle would never be able to reach the heights that they were invited to if they tried to deal with flying in a way that they were never designed to. And I think that some of us are exhausted trying to get above a storm, but we're flying in our own strength, flapping our wings a million miles an hour, trying to crawl at the answer, claw at the answer, the solution, the breakthrough. You know, the people of Israel in the middle, like the deepest despair that they had that was ever even recorded in the history that we know of, wrote a lament to God in the middle of their waiting that says, God, I know that there can still be hope because you are faithful even in the midst of this. And I believe when that happens, there's an ability when we wait on God's grace to soar above 
the heartbreak that we might feel, the despair, the grief and the discouragement that we may feel. It's not surprising that multiple times in Scripture, God's Spirit is, is he, it's described as a wind. And as I prepped this message, I just imagined that just as an eagle uses thermal air currents to give them lift without even having to flap their wings, that there is a wind of God's grace and a wind of God's Spirit that wants to meet you and I right in the middle of this and to give us lift that we don't even have to flap our wings. For some of us, the idea of not killing ourselves, exhausting ourselves, trying to make it work, to be good enough, to, to figure it out, to get to the next, the next part of the journey. And some of us just need to be able to rest in the waiting and like this the air current of God's spirit lift us out of this grief and the sadness that we're in and help us rise above the storm entirely. At, here at, at our campus this weekend, we're gonna sing Holy Spirit. You're welcome here for the closing song, just like a verse in a couple courses. You know, rather, I typically pray for you at the end of this, but I wanna invite you to actually, when I, when we get done here, in the, the whether you're listening on podcast or the video, maybe you're watching on our website, whenever that it's completed, I'm going to ask for you and invite for you to pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, be the current that I can rest in, in the middle of the hopelessness, in the middle of the waiting. See, Christmas will come. The promise will be fulfilled. But it's okay that the waiting is just hard. It's okay that the waiting is just long. May God's spirit be the current that you rise above the storm on. Just resting, not flapping your wings, just resting. Trusting that God's going to see you through this and that the promise that he gave you will be fulfilled. I love you. And I'm praying for you. Let us know how we can serve you and support you. Reach out. We'd love to come alongside of you in anything that's going on in your world. I'll see you next week.